Brian Millsap, chairman and CEO of Atlanta-based Black Hall Studios, is one of today's top entertainment executives with a vision for Black Hall that's ambitious, energizing, and boundless. Millsap is blazing a trail through the heart of the South and setting his sights on the future of entertainment. Listen and learn as Ryan Millsap journeys through the myriad industries, people, and landscapes that traverse the complex and dynamic world of film production. Welcome to the Black Hall Studios podcast. We here at the podcast are just as happy as you are that 2020 is in the rearview mirror. The studio is a ghost town for six months, and I'm happy to say we're filming multiple projects now. Along the way, we had to re-engineer our entire HVAC system to provide for the safety of our movie crews. Yeah, I'm looking forward to 2021 bringing us all a little more prosperity. We begin our second year of this podcast, and I'm as excited today as I was in the beginning. Thank you for listening in, and know that we definitely appreciate you being here with us. If anyone knows where the bones are buried and what skeletons hang in whose closets in Atlanta, it's attorney Randy Kessler. Kessler's client list reads as if it was torn straight out from the pages of Us Weekly or Sports Illustrated. Tamika Foster Raymond, wife of singer Usher, rapper Juvenile, Bishop Thomas Weeks III, and Lance Briggs of the Chicago Bears, these are just a few of his clients. When famous people want to call a marriage quits, battle a paternity suit, or get child support from an absent parent, Kessler is the man they call. He's not a heavyweight, but he's taken on and beaten Evander Holyfield, in a child alimony case, mind you. He's a lawyer that doesn't like to go to court, and he's on a network that you watch. He's got a sharpshooter legal mind. He's Randy Kessler. Hi, this is Ryan Millsap. Welcome to the Black Hall Studios podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Randy Kessler, who is a celebrity divorce attorney. Randy, welcome to the program. <laughs> Thank you. For a celebrity, I don't know about a celebrity, but I've represented my share, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when you, when you represent celebrities, you become a celebrity. Uh, maybe by osmosis. But, you know, the funny thing is, at least 90 to 95% of the ones we've represented no one has any idea. You know, they get back together. It never goes public. The press, they have strange names that the press doesn't find or the clerk doesn't recognize. So um, the, the sad thing is people think, oh, you represented two or three. And, you know, thank goodness they have no idea of all the other ones because I'd be in trouble if people found out about some of the other things that we've been a part of. The best family law attorneys are going to have those kind of stories. How did you get started in family law? I mean, what draws somebody like psychologically. You know, it, it's interesting you say that. So I've, I've been practicing law about 30 years, a little more than 30 years. And when I started, nobody wanted to be a divorce lawyer, right? They fed off the misery of everybody, of other people. And if you think about it, though, every lawyer feeds off the misery of somebody. Nobody wants goes to a lawyer when they're happy, right? There's something bad happened, a car accident, a bankruptcy, a tax problem. But um, all I knew is I wanted to be in court, right? I like being standing on my feet, like to interact. And, uh, and I wanted to help real people. And truth of the matter is, Ryan, when I started my practice, I uh, worked for a few firms, did some family law, and then I started my own practice when I was 29. And I took everything that came in the door. I mean, I took, you know, if you had a traffic ticket and you called me and said, hey, I hear you're a lawyer, I'll take it. You know, I took everything. And then I started realizing that the people coming to me for family law came to me because they heard something good about me. They said, my friend said you really helped them through a hard time. That, that touched a nerve. 
And I was one of the first people to just change my firm website and email address to family law, KS family law or family law attorneys. You know, in the old days, you couldn't say you were a specialist and that changed. You could say what you did. And I said, you know what, I'm going to throw my, I'm going to go all in on this. And, um, and it turned out great. I've been very lucky. I'm lucky to have found something I love what I do. And I make great friends that I know for life because I was there with them at a tough time. So, uh, I got no complaints. I am. It's been a good journey. There's no doubt about that. You're definitely going through very difficult, traumatic moments, milestone moments in people's lives. No question. They say say next to death. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, on some level, how often do you feel like a psychologist more than an attorney? All the time. I mean, they call us counselors of law, but, but I tell people every day I get, you know, you should go to a psychologist because I, your psychologist probably costs less than me and, and is trained, but you know, you become an armchair psychologist. And uh, we were talking, you know, about how hard divorce is. Some people, and I've seen a lot of psychologists speak at seminars and uh, they will say that people going through divorce, it, it's worse sometimes than death because in death, you can't blame anybody. You can blame God, but you know, in divorce, the person that's rejecting you, the person that's gone, it was a choice, right? They actually chose to leave you or chose to reject you. And that's a harder, you know, mental thing sometimes in a lot of ways than death. But, you know, I'm, I'm an optimist and I say, look, death is obviously the worst, right? I mean, the other person, if you really love them, even if they hate you, they're still alive and you want them to be healthy and happy. And maybe that's the parent of your children. So, you know, there's some saving grace about them, no matter how bad they, they were in your relationship. Are you married? I am. I am. I, uh, I skipped my first marriage. I got married in my young 40s. We dated off and on for a long time. And instead of getting married and uh, struggling when I was young, I just waited for the woman I knew I wanted to marry and waited until she was ready. And we both, it was our first marriage. We were both young 40s. We got one child and uh, very happy and thankful. What does being a divorce attorney teach you about your own marriage? You know, everybody's got to bite the apple themselves. I swear I find myself doing stuff that I say, if my clients did that, I would tell them they need to change what they're doing. And so, I, you know, maybe I catch myself a little bit earlier. But, you know, human nature is human nature. You know, we're, we're all are creatures of habit. But I can't tell you there's not a day that goes by that I don't come home and say, God, you know, after what I after the people I've seen today, I'm grateful for what I have. No matter what issues we have, no matter what disagreements me and my family may have, then nothing compared to what I see every day. And um, it, it definitely gives you perspective. But, but again, you know, we all have our flaws and, and I'm certainly not without mine. But you feel like having to deal with these incredibly traumatic moments and maybe the, the darkest moments of, of people's lives leads you to a, a, a position of gratefulness, not to a position of, yeah, but I mean, you know, you could imagine that 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 it would be for there. There are people that get depressed being um, oh, divorce attorneys. Cynic. Yeah, people become cynics. I'm telling you, I walk around at a, uh, a shopping mall, a grocery store, and I can't tell you that sometimes I don't see people and think, what do they have going on in their life? You know, what what, is, what hidden secrets do they have that nobody knows about? Because you know, everyone that walks into my office looks normal. I don't know if most of them look normal, right? Like, and I don't have any idea what's going to come out of their mouth. And, you know, I might think this one's a librarian, this one's a book teacher. And turns out, no, he's a male stripper and she's, you know, a, a female. Who knows what people do behind closed doors. But uh, but now, I, you know, I know that 
nobody is what they seem to be up front. Very few people are exactly, you get what you see, no matter how much people like to say, you know, hey, I, I am, you see what you see what I am, that's what you get. Everyone's got stuff that they've done, they regret, or that they know. And, um, and it's just a question of how does that affect their behavior? Is it going to, you know, and, and the sad thing is I usually have to be the one to tell them whatever he or she did is probably not as big a deal to the court as it is to you. It, it hurts your feelings that she did this or she cheated or he did that. But most judges, most courts, they're in the business of, of moving you forward. How do you divide the money? How do you make sure both parents have chances to be with the children and the conduct? That's, you know, that's what you get from marrying a jerk, or that's what you, you know, you'll get your freedom now and you'll be able to go find somebody that won't do that to you. So, um, yeah, I definitely see some, some crazy stuff and, uh, and, and yeah, you're right. It probably has jaded me a little bit, uh, about human beings. Well, divorce isn't about punishment. That's interesting. The way you, you noted that for the, about the judges, for the judges, divorce isn't about punishment. It's not about who's right, who's wrong, who deserves to be punished. Is that fair right, to about, say? Right. Yeah, that's that's true. It's about solving the problem that the judge has. And the, and the problem the judge has is there's a finite amount of money. No matter how many millions you have, there's still a, a limit to what you have. And the judge has to figure out how to divide it. And there are a finite amount of days in the, in the week that the judge has to apportion between the parents. Um, a, a quick story. I uh, invited a, a keynote speaker who was a, um, a touchy-feely therapist, wrote a book on the good karma divorce. She was great. And she was speaking to a room of accountants. These people, they, they crunch numbers for divorce lawyers and help people figure out how much there is to divide. She said, Randy, how am I going to get through to these folks? I'm a touchy-feely. They're number crunchers. And the light bulb went off. And she said, here's, I got it. Watch this. And she stood up and she said, ladies and gentlemen, when people come to their lawyers, they're complaining about what he did to her or what she did to him. But when we get into their accountants and they start looking at how they're going to live and how their future is going to be and they put pen to paper, they're thinking about their future. And that's why the CPAs and the, and, the, and the dollars and cents are what people should focus on because that moves them forward. And, and it made sense to me as soon as I heard that. People want to complain to me about what he did to her, she did to him. But when they talk about how am I going to live, they start focusing on a solution. And so that's what we try to do is move people towards the next step. You know, whatever happened in the past, therapy, friends, social network, whatever you need to do. But as far as getting you on, let's get you out as stable financially as you can and make sure you got a relationship with your kids. And, it's, it, and we got to simplify it like that. As much as people want to focus on the drama and the bad stuff, it, um, it, it holds them back. How often do you see people on the backside of divorce get to that place that you, that was described by the book you mentioned uh, to a place of good karma where there's good karma between the divorced couple, the old, you know, the couple that previously been married and there's actually like, really high-functioning relationships. It, it happens. You know, uh, uh, I guess a deviation from that question is how, many, how often are people happier after divorce, right? And I guess if both sides are happy, happier, then it really was the right decision. And sometimes, you know, divorce is the right decision. And sometimes it's right for one person, and sometimes it's not right for either. Um, so to answer your question, sometimes we do see that. So there are people that are, I don't want to say mature enough as if everyone else isn't mature, but there are people that, figure out how to interact despite the fact that they're getting a divorce so that they can stay friends because they're going to be at weddings together for their children. They're going to be at family events. Um, and, and they do it and they figure it out. It, it's hard. Um, so I do see it. It's, it's not terribly often. Um, 
Why do you think it's so hard? Because there are only two people that could cause the problem, right? If, if you're having a problem and your relationship isn't working, there are two people that could have caused it. And who's one of them, right? You're one of them. And how often do we want to blame ourselves? So if you can't, if, if people don't want to say, I messed up, I did the wrong thing, then they're immediately going to say, the reason I'm unhappy is because she did this, or she pushes my buttons, or he does this, or he talks to me this way. Um, and that's what we all focus on. We focus on what somebody else is doing to us um, instead of, or at least in an equal part of well, what am I doing to them? So, and I, I just think that's human nature. You try to figure out what's causing you to be sad when really, aren't we all responsible for our own happiness or sadness? I mean, right now, Ryan, you could decide you want to smile and be happy. No matter what anyone's doing to you, saying to you, uh, thinking about you, you get to decide whether you want to be happy or not. And that's, it's just hard to get there. And I'm, I don't want to be too philosophical, but if, you know, people could take ownership and say, I'm going to be happy and I'm going to just make sure that my life is, is positive. Then all the other stuff would fade away. But it's too easy, I think, to, to blame other people for your unhappiness. And, you know, and, and a lot of times they're right. You know, a lot of times it is somebody else's fault. Somebody else has been really ugly, but still, the only thing you can do about it is decide you aren't going to let it make you unhappy anymore. And that, and that I think, is a part of divorce a lot of times. I'm going to get away from the person that I don't feel happy when I'm around. Hmm. Get, yeah, get a little too deep there? No, no, no. I absolutely love it. I was actually reflecting on um, how often you must see deeply, deeply unhappy people and how often you might see deeply, deeply happy people. Right. I mean, because, yeah, it's this major decision. It's this major crossroads in life where nobody's choosing to divorce unless they truly think that there's a different path of happiness. You nailed it on its head. I mean, people ask me, why do why do people get divorced? You know, you can come up with reasons. Well, someone cheated or someone stole money or someone did this. But really, it's some version of the grass is greener. I would be happier if I got a divorce. I came to that conclusion that if I wasn't married to him or her, I could be with someone who treats me better or is nicer, or is richer, or is better looking, or whatever it is. But you're right. It's some version of I will be happier if I'm not with this person, even if it means I'm not with anybody. And, and I think you're right. So, and, and sometimes they're right. You know, and one of the best parts of my business is seeing people years later that are happy. They made the right decision. And, if we did it the right way, they respect me and I respect them because the process wasn't terribly ugly and terribly expensive and terribly gut-wrenching. They got through it peacefully, you know, like adults. And uh, and I can look back on that and say I had a little bit to do with how their life turned out because I helped them get over a hard time in a less confrontational way. And, uh, you know, sometimes you can't help it. Sometimes confrontation happens. You have to be ready to go to court. But I think if you're ready to go to court, it often sends a signal to the other side that maybe that's not what I want to do. And, um, you know, and if they perceive you don't want to go to court, then of course they'll push and push and push. So it's a balance between being able to fight and being able to defend and only doing it when you really, really have to. Well, you know, I got divorced, um, years ago and it was a ugly process. I, I left my ex-wife and, I did it for reasons that, you know, a hundred percent had to do with just feeling like I would be much happier if I didn't have to deal with her. Now you had, when you have children together, you, yeah, right. You always have to deal with that person. But I, but I will tell you, I mean, I think she is a, a lovely person and actually a really good mother, really good human. 
but she drove me insane. And and there literally there's not one day that goes by that I'm not thankful that I left. Right from a from a human happiness standpoint. And that's that's what makes my day when I hear that you did what was right for you and you preserved the relationship. And I don't want to get too personal, but if you have children, then I'm sure the child, children are better off for it. Well, you said she's a good mother, so. Oh, she's a great she's a great mother, and I think that, and I, I firmly believe that the children are better off for for it because I watch my ex wife is happier. She, I mean, she doesn't. She's not in a place to necessarily admit that she's happier. She still, you know, doesn't like that language for whatever reason. But for me, like, I mean, I, I think my children get a a better father because of the level of happiness. They say, I want to wait to get divorced until my children are older. What do you think? And I say, well, I can't make a decision for when you get divorced. But I'll tell you what I do here. I hear from children whose parents are getting divorced and the children are 15, 16. And they say, every time the, the client tells me, you know what they said? They said, dad, what took you so long? Mom, what took you so long? Children know when their parents are unhappy. And parent, children want their parents to be happy. I grew up in a house just like that. I mean, my parents stayed married until I was 30. But I remember being like five years old, six years old, seven years old, think and not not necessarily thinking adult thoughts, but I can I can remember the emotion, and the emotion was basically, why are these people married, right? That's I I don't think that's healthy for and a the, kid, and especially if they're doing it for the they're doing it for the kids. A lot of people feel like when they don't realize, you know, and and it's different nowadays too because divorce is so much more widely accepted. You know, twenty thirty years ago, forty years ago you might have been stigmatized, you know, you're a child of divorce. But now, I mean, kids know, I mean, it's, it's a normal thing. Hey, you, are you with your mom this weekend or your dad this weekend? Because I want to come, can we have a sleepover? And, and kids always ask, whose weekend is it? Because half the children in schools are children of divorce, right? It's 50% of Americans are getting divorced, so it's there. But I want to tell you something else you said that made me smile, which is uh, I, I learned this from a family member. But the best thing a father can do for their children is to love and respect their mother. So, you know, whether you love her or respect her, the point is you saying nice things about her has a tremendous effect on, on your children. I'm not preaching. I'm preaching to the choir, but it's a hard concept when you hate somebody to realize that the children are never going to hate that person because they're half mom and half dad, you know? So, I mean, well, treating the other side respectful is a gift to the children. I no, I, I, I agree with you. Um, and the other thing to remember is that not liking to live life with someone and hating them are totally different things. Granted, there were times in my marriage where I, I, I remember specifically turning to my ex-wife and saying, I think I might hate you. Wow. Which I think was probably true. I actually, like I hate, I absolutely despise the idea of having to live any more life with her. It just was, I, I was eating being eaten up inside like it was just bananas but from a from a distance i know that wasn't real hate that was just the feeling of being trapped right the feeling of being trapped in something that was that felt really miserable it wasn't actually hating her as a human and it wasn't any real commentary necessarily about her as a human it's just sometimes a really bad match in priorities and personalities and uh lifestyle choices, whatever. Like it's just not working and that's okay. I mean, now it's easy for me to say because I was the one who finally said, this isn't working. I'm out. And that felt incredible, but I know that it was difficult on my children in the moment, 
even though I believe in the long run, as we're, you know, we're talking about, it's far better to grow up with two parents who have the freedom to be happy outside of the relationship than parents who are, quote, staying together for the kids, but they're miserable about it. 100% agree. Crushes their souls. I mean, think about it, like what we all dream about for our children. We dream of our children having big vision and, and, and big dreams and being able to chase their happiness, follow their bliss, and, and find like fullness of life. But if you don't model that for your kids, if you don't model that for your kids, they're never going to find it. And it takes a lot of courage to go for it in everything in life. Well, and you're talking to the divorce lawyer. Imagine trying to do that, <clears throat> excuse me, when you're going through a time where you don't respect the other side, you don't feel love and, and, and affection for them, you know, and you're trying to teach your children that love. I mean, the fact that you found it, the way that you talk about your, your ex, that, that's great, you know. Um, the problem is some people never get over it, and they're always unhappy because of their ex and their perception. If my ex had given me more money or treated me better or whatever, when – you know, most people come out of divorce financially better than they were before they started. And on average, most people have more money when they're 40 than when they're 20. Not everybody, you know, but so it's just a question of you, you, that was the bargain. You married that person is how it turned out. If it didn't work, at least you got another start on things instead of being like Ryan's parents and starting to <laughs> jump on you. But the people that stay together to, do what they think is helping the children when really they're foregoing their own happiness. You know, if, if you can do what you did and figure it out early, more power to you. I've got a question about the difference between studying law and practicing law. If you were, and you do, I know you do this, right? You teach at Emory. So when you're talking to young kids who are studying, you know, 25 year olds who are studying to be attorneys and you're, teaching them the theory of law, but then you also know all of the intricacies of practice. What are the things that you would tell yourself if you were in law school today? I taught another school, law school for 10 years. I've taught at Emory for about five years. And my commitment, when I accepted it, I said, I'm, my job is going to be to teach them everything that I didn't learn in law school. You know, And, and it depends on the class. Right now we're teaching a, a, a trial class. In Georgia, we actually can have jury trials and divorce. So to we have full trials, so we talk about family law in that context. But it doesn't matter. What I try to do is teach them things that, that aren't in the, the books. You can read all day long. You can study on the Internet. But how do you talk to somebody who is scared to death to tell you that they've had an extramarital relationship because they're, their father is a minister and they're going to be the shame of the family, but they're happy with this new person, and they're going to tell me who they have no idea who I am, and they're paying me to listen to them. How do you start that conversation? How do you open the door? How do you interact? How do you not be judgmental? How do you switch to, well, that fact equals this result? Um, so I try to talk to them about that. We do sample consultations. I, I, I have them set up a table and pretend they're consulting with a new client so they can see how difficult it is. And then we do it at the end of the class when they know more and say, isn't it better now that you know a little bit more? But, you know, there's some things, Ryan, you just can't get without experience. So when you said law school versus practice, you know, learning versus practicing, if I could only have one experience to be a lawyer, if it was whether to go to law school or to have practiced for 30 years, there's no question. I'd rather practice for 30 years because the things I've seen and the things I've learned by being there and by living are 10 times more valuable 
than the, the laws I learned. I mean, the laws are important. You need to know what the limits are. But in family law, the law really is not always the most important thing because you try to solve a situation, and the law really only applies if you can't solve it. If you have to go to court, you have to fight, you use the law. But if, if you don't go to court, you can agree to do anything. You can In court, you can only get child support till age 18 in Georgia, okay? But if I wanted to, I could agree to pay child support until my child's 100 years old. So, so if people can agree to things, that's much more beneficial. And that, that's where I'd like to focus what I teach the, the students. How do you get people to craft their own future, you know, design their own blueprint for what they want life to be post-divorce? Um, but absolutely, it's, a, it's that's what I would teach them. Anything that, that's not really, you know, you'll learn the law from other classes. You'll learn civil procedure. You'll learn trial techniques. But learn how to be a human being. Learn how to be a listener. Learn how to be an advocate. Learn how to... Uh, be a confidant. Those are, those are skills that are that are really hard, and they, they some people can never get them, and some people are born with them. What What do you think are the most underrated skills for a successful attorney? Being a good listener. I think you learn. There's an old saying that I love: you learn more when you listen than when you talk. Another one is kill them with kindness. You can say the same thing a thousand different ways. I can tell you I hate your guts in a nice way that you would actually respect me for the way I said it. You know, sort of the, sort of the way you talked about your former wife. You know, you, you said it respectfully. It was obvious you didn't get along. There were things about her that you didn't like that irritated you. But you didn't use curse words and defame her. I mean, you're, you're complimenting her and telling me she's a great mother. And, and you know, you can, it's how you communicate is so much more important than what you communicate, in my opinion. You know, you, you got to send a message, and you can send it by, you know, sticking your third finger out at somebody, or you can politely say, you know, I, I really don't agree with your version of events, and we respectfully disagree, but let's just leave it at that. You know, so show them with kindness and uh, and listen more. What are the what are the personality traits that you see in clients that are the worst kind of things a human can do to make things more complicated in their life? A lot of, uh, you know, we'd always rather catch somebody lying than cheating, you know, being dishonest about money, especially because, you know, when you cheat on your spouse, you hurt your spouse, that's between the two of you. But when you lie to the judge and you say, I didn't make a hundred thousand dollars last year. And then the other side shows a receipt or a W2. Now you've lied to the court. So that, that makes for a bad client, a bad witness, a bad trial uh, person. But as far as interacting, I think it's be patient and, and don't jump to conclusions. Don't assume the worst about your spouse. I mean, you love this person. You married this person. When you get an offer from the other side that says he wants this or she wants that, don't immediately have a knee-jerk reaction and call them a name. Step back and say, why do they want that? What do they wor- why do they want the house so badly that my grandmother built and gave to me? Maybe they want the house because it's where they raised their your baby while you were out working and, and they have those memories. You know, just listen a little more and, and don't react as quickly as as most people do, if uh, I had to put it. Well, what I'm thinking specifically, it was when I think of like destructive vices. Oh. If somebody's listening and, and they didn't have, let's say, an education in ethics or morals or and even people who have, they haven't really thought about why uh, that something would be ethical or moral and something else wouldn't, 
But if you observe life, oftentimes there's actions and ways of being that are incredibly destructive. And if you're sitting as a divorce attorney, you must see these vices that are vices that lead to relational destruction. Yeah. Well, I mean, I see so much. There's so many different vices. You know, for some people, it's gambling. For some people, it's drinking. For some people, it's cheating. For some people, it's spousal abuse. There's there are lots of those vices. But I guess the one thing they have in common is often they're the result of something else. You know, not always. Sometimes somebody is just a jerk and they have a mental disorder and they can't help themselves and they're going to do bad things. But if you can control what you're doing, why are you doing it? Why are you spending time in Las Vegas gambling because you're not happy. So if you're not happy, get happy with your spouse or divorce your spouse, then go to Vegas. Don't, don't find, don't try to find happiness in vices. You know, a lot of people go out to drink because they're not happy at home or they turn to drugs because they're not happy. So it, any vice I would think is, is, is a distraction from attacking the real issue. You know, the real issue is, is your relationship good. And if it, if it can be better, great. If it can't be better, then end the relationship and then, see if you need your vices anymore you know but don't I, I would suggest that a vice is not a substitute for a relationship yeah vice a vice is maybe the canary right the proverbial canary in the coal mine of you know why am I am I drinking would I be drinking this much if I wasn't married well maybe so right so or that, if I was happy with my spouse if I was happy in my relationship Correct, right? I was I was thinking, you know, single versus married, and then happy versus unhappy. I mean, certainly there are happy marriages that people drink a lot together. No question. And it just work it just works for them. So you know, it's not alcohol is not the problem. Or there are people that have addiction problems that have to drink, and that the, their marriage is still good. But you know, those things are going to sooner or later affect. It's going to affect everything, but it's going to affect the marriage too. That's control. right. So the main thing is get help. If you have, if you have a vice that's addictive, and not just recreational, although everyone thinks, oh, it's just recreational drug use, just recreational this or that, you know, take it seriously. That's that's where relationships end. And that's where parent-child relationships end and get bad. And, and COVID increasingly, a lot of people are dealing with COVID through vices. I I had an old professor, you know, a long time ago, who he was a he was a psychology professor but he also you know did a lot of work around human spirituality and he used to talk about how marriage was the ultimate crucible to find out the truth about your own soul interesting right so if you if you had a proclivity if you had traumas that were never addressed then that level of intimacy is going to force you into a place where you either start to deal with them or all the vices that attach to that trauma will come out. Do you think that's true? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, yes. <laughs> in, in a word. Yeah. It's, it's, um, you know, it's you two against the world. And, that, and, and the flip of that, Brian, is when I represent people, when they come to see me, they've spent their whole life bond them two against the world. You know, you and your wife, against the IRS, you and your wife against the neighbors who, you know, put a fence on your lawn or you, you know, you're, you're a team against the whole world. And now not only are you no longer a team, you're opposite teams. You know, your team is going up against his team or her team. So, you know, when you're in a marriage, you're right. It's, it's the two of you and, and you're on it sort of on an Island 
And then when you're going through divorce, you know, you're on two separate islands, but they're warring with each other and they're pointing guns and ammo at each other. So it's, uh, it's like um, a judge I know once said, opposites attract and then they attack. <laughs> opposites attract and then they attack. I like that. What I was just thinking about, one of the things that you said is you said it was them against the IRS, them against their neighbor, them against... It made me think, if you're somebody who has secrets, should you tell your spouse those secrets? Because you're probably not you're probably not somebody who's trustworthy. They're probably not somebody who's ultimately trustworthy. And ultimately, then, you're going to tell your secrets to somebody who's not trustworthy. See, but then that defeats the whole point of marriage. I agree. No, I agree. And I that's agree. The but, problem. That's that's yeah. that's exactly why I'm in business because people don't plan. If people plan to be divorced, they would never combine bank accounts. They would never put titles in each other's names. They would never tell secrets like you're talking about. They would not tell them where the money's hidden in the backyard. So, you know, I think everyone's got a choice. You can live cautiously and like defensively, drive defensively. You can be married defensively and worry about a divorce. And if you've been married two or three times, maybe that's the, the way to go. But, you know, for your first time around, I'm a romantic. I'd, I'd rather say, you know, you go for it. And if you get burned because it doesn't work out, then that's part of life and that's part of living. So, but I, it is an issue, no, I, you know. I agree with, I agree with that. That's part of life and that's part of living. And I, and, you know, if my kids came to me and said, you know, I'm 22, I'm madly in love, I want to get married, I would say, do you love the guy? They'd be like, yeah, I love him. I'm like, go for it then. Go find out, right? Go find out the truth about life. That doesn't bother me one bit. It's uh, it's, yeah, but it takes some, you know, takes some open-mindedness. You know, you think uh, it's funny. I was going for a long drive today, as you know, and I was thinking about Beatles versus the Rolling Stones. You know that um, now it's funny, you know, because the old people in the in the day used to think, I don't want my little teenage girl listening to those long-haired freaks, those hippies. And now we think about the Beatles as the clean, nice guys and Mick Jagger as the, you know, the, the, the bad boy, right? So it's funny how your perspective changes, you know, over time. The Beatles, that, uh, Beatles were a gate, gateway drug. Yeah, right. That's exactly it. <laughs> Little did they know that soon, soon the stones were coming. Right. But, um, mm. you know, parents hate parents. I mean, from what I can see by watching the Ed Sullivan reruns, parents didn't like... Uh, you know, the Beatles because they were, you know, dancing and, and, you know, talked about love and kissing and all that kind of stuff. And nowadays, are you kidding? You know, strawberry fields forever. They're the happy place, you know. All we're saying is give peace a chance. They're, they're like the good guys. And so you're right. You never know what someone's going to turn out to be. The person you think your daughter will, ne- will never be happy with could be the best choice in the world for her. So you get to see... um you know, marriage disintegrating. And obviously, you know, your practice is largely tied to the institution of marriage. Having seen everything you've seen, how do you believe that the institution of marriage could be improved? So I don't know um, that the institution of marriage can be improved. I think it's a, a fiction. I think it's, it's something that politicians and religious leaders sort of created to, um, serve certain purposes. In other words, and I, I think a lot about same-sex marriage before it was legal. You know, 
people still had relationships, right? People still had feelings for each other, and they figured it out without having an institution to bind them into, you know, and, and they had to figure it out. So why do we have this thing called marriage? Why, why is it? And if you really look, dig deep into it, it's because ultimately I think the majority of religions or the, or the major religions want you to be married. And so the politicians and the legislatures say, you know what, if you're married, you will get a tax deduction. You know, if you, if you and your spouse each earn X, if you're married, your tax rate will be lower than if you were both separates. You know, if, if you know, you go to the hospital because your loved one was in a car accident, well, if you're not married, you don't get to go into the hospital room. And if you're married, you do. So as a society, we're promoting marriage when really we should just be promoting good relationships. You know, so I don't know. I don't know if it's a little bit longer than you wanted on, on how do you improve marriage. I think people try that all the time around. They try They ask the question, and in Louisiana, they passed a law a couple of years ago called covenant marriage you could choose when you get married to enter into a marriage that could not be dissolved so easily that before you could get divorced you had to agree to go to six months of counseling you know you had to, you had to go to counseling before you got married and you know and it's hard for me to sort of try to outguess human nature or society or religion and i don't want to do that but i'll give you some examples of why it's really hard for humans to try to you know outsmart human nature um some states, North Carolina, South Carolina, have a waiting period. If you want to get divorced, you have to be separated for a year. Okay? So people think that helps people stay married because you'll, you'll, you can't get married for a year, I mean, divorced for a year. But you know what it does? And in Georgia, there's no waiting period. You could come to me tomorrow and say, I want to file for divorce. We've agreed on everything. And 30 days later, you'd be divorced. And people say, Georgia makes it so easy to get divorced. That's really not right. Well, think if you think it through for three seconds, Guess what? If you and your wife are having troubles and you're not sure if you want a divorce, if you're in North Carolina and you talk to a lawyer, they're going to say you have to be separated for a year. And you can say a year. Well, let's get it started because by a year I'm going to know. Whereas if you're <laughs> I got to get that clock ticking. Right. That's exactly right. But in Georgia, if I say, look, if you're not sure if you want to get divorced, take your time. Whenever you want to get a divorce, you can come to me. We can get it done in 30 days. And that makes you go back and say, let's work on it a little bit more, honey. I'm not in as much of a rush. So even though you know, the legislatures and the politicians tried to pass a law to keep, to keep people married. Probably they've made people go see a divorce lawyer faster and say, look, I got to wait a year. Well, yeah, you're right. Ryan. Let's, let's get the clock ticking now, because if I decide in six months I want a divorce, I've got to wait another year from then. So it's a, it, it's a hard thing to fix. And I think really it's just a question of, you know, everyone's got to jump in and swim and, and hopefully they're, they're in the right pool and they, and they like it. And if not, then hopefully people have the courage to get out. It's, it's, you know, the problem in the past was the stigma of divorce, just like where we started this interview. You know, how'd you get into divorce? And nobody wanted to be a divorce lawyer because those were the frowned upon lawyers. And now it, it's almost, you know, you want to get the best divorce lawyer and you want to have, you know, the, the, the most friendly divorce and you want to be known as having done it with class and you want to make sure that, you know, so, we are changing things, right? I mean, if you talk to people, you admire people like you that got through the divorce in a nice way and that, that still have nice things to say about their ex. As opposed to 30 years ago, I think, as soon as you said you were divorced, there was an automatic stigma. You're divorced? What's wrong with you? You know, how could you get divorced? You know, I think, so I think as a society, we actually are changing, you know, how marriages are viewed. And, and part of that is the acceptance of the fact that 
some marriages aren't meant to last forever. The part that is interesting to me is, you know, I'm I'm actually engaged. I'm getting remarried uh, oh, May the 15th. Thank you. And I've been going through the process of dealing with uh, my attorneys on prenuptial agreements and how that all gets structured. And I was shocked, you know, my, my, my first marriage, I didn't have a prenuptial agreement, which is part of the reason why then the, the process of getting divorced was so much more painful. Right. Uh, but at the, but at the same time, what's um, fascinating to me is I'll say to my attorneys, I say, why can't you just do exactly what I want you just do in the prenup? And they're like, well, if you're getting married, you are, fundamentally subjecting your life to the authority of the state. See, we're going to exactly, that's exactly what I was trying to describe. And you said it better than I could, which is, you know, why do people have to even get married? You know, the truth of the matter is you could say to your soon to be spouse, let's just live together. You're getting married. For what reason? Because you were raised in religion that, that respect marriage or because you want to show that you're committed. I mean, how about write on a big piece of paper? I'm committed to you. I love you and nobody else. And I don't want to be with you. <laughs> that, that, right. So as a divorce lawyer, I should, you know, defend the laws in the system, but I really, I can't figure out, you know, exactly why each person gets married. And it's all for different reasons. My parents told me I had to get married or I can't have sex until I'm married. So I want to get married or I can't have children unless I'm married because there's a stigma or because it's in my religion. But, you know, to say, I love you and I want to marry to you. Why, why couldn't you do what same sex couples did before they were allowed to be married in, in America and elsewhere and say, I love you. I'm committed to you. And who, I don't care what the law is. I'm, I'm in a relationship and I'm committed to it. And so your lawyers are right. You know, look at that. I'm sticking up for lawyers, but you are, you're submitting yourself to such a laws and you're drafting a contract that lets you work around those laws. And that's what we were talking about earlier. You can, and a prenuptial agreement is a great idea for someone who's been through a divorce, uh, especially an ugly divorce, where you, yeah, you can say next time it's already spelled out, you know. And, and, and if your marriage survives the negotiation of a prenup, then it's probably a stronger marriage because you're dealing with these issues ahead of time, you know, and, and you're seeing how you each feel about things. And, and, and it's a hard conversation, I'm sure, to have, you know, because on one hand, you love her, but on the other hand, you've been burned before. You don't want to be through it again. So it's... Those are, those are tough conversations, I'm sure. Well, you know, in many ways, they do exactly what you just described, which is they force you to have conversations you should probably have no matter what ahead of time. Um, but in our, you know, in our society, when you see how poorly the legal system can be applied, right, by, by people who are emotional, Oftentimes, people who are emotional are willing to do things that they wouldn't do in their right mind. They have no idea what your life's like. Judges that make less money than you are deciding how to divide your money, or judges that make more money than you, or judges that are very religious that don't, don't understand why someone would cheat, or judges that have been married four times and have cheated themselves that aren't offended by the fact that your spouse cheated. You know, you don't know who's going to decide your case if you're in front of them, which is why a prenup but you decided ahead of time and not leave it to the luck of the draw with whoever the judge is. And it, and it hopefully allows you to make those decisions. I mean, I agree with you that the luck of the draw of a judge is amazingly impactful on a legal outcome, but no one, uh, no one has any idea. 
you know, we're, we're in election season, right? We just finished a big election. When people went to the polls, guaranteed they knew who the candidates were for president that were going to be on the ballot. Almost guaranteed they knew, at least in Georgia, who was going to be on the ballot for senator. But did they know the lower part of the ballot when they saw a judge? I mean, how many people even know who's running for judge or what the judge does? And then guess what? You know who's more important in your life? More important than the president or the governor or the senator is the judge assigned to your divorce case because that person can take away your right to see your children. They can take away your house. You know, if you're if you're charged with a crime, they can put you in jail. They can sentence you to death. And and you're voting for this person, and you have no idea who they are. You know everything about the president of the United States and more than you ever wanted to know. But they're never going to decide what happens to your children. And so it's sort of uh, interesting that, that people realize that too late after they're in front of a judge. They say, who elected that person judge? Huh. You did. And you you did. The button because that, that, that person had an I next to the name that meant incumbent. And you figured, oh, must be good. They're the incumbent. Or must be good because <laughs> she, she, had the same, she had the same name as a friend. And so I wanted, you know, someone named, you know, whatever in the, in the in office because they I like that name without knowing anything more about the person. And it, and it happens all the time. People say, how did that person get elected as a judge? Say, did you vote? You know? Well, it, it, electing judges seems like a good idea in a in a village where you can say, oh, that person's wise. I, I'd, I'd trust their judgment. But you know them somehow, or your parents know them, or your grandpa knew them, or something. Like you had some reference to who they are as a human being based on their reputation. Whereas in this instance, you're so right. I think you know judges are largely elected by people who have no idea who they are as humans. Yeah. Well, the flip side is, you know, if a judge steps down or dies in office in Georgia, they get a, a new one gets appointed by the governor. So the question is, do you want an unknowing public to elect a judge based on whatever they they want a woman, so they they vote for whoever sounds like they're a woman, you know, or or do you want the, their governor? whose party you may or may not agree with. You may say, I don't want a Republican governor appointing the judges. But if you say, you know, the problem is, if you say we want it to be elected, what happens when there's a Democratic governor? Then you forfeited the right to have that governor appoint judges. So, you know, it's sort of, you know, what's better? What's better in the world? Would you rather have a, a terrible democracy or a dictatorship with a great dictator, you know? Hundred percent, the second. If you could guarantee, if you can guarantee me a great dictator, I want that. It's like Augusta National. If you knew it'd be Gandhi, if you knew it'd be Gandhi, somebody that that was really one hundred percent great, you know, and selfless. Of course, you want that person because then, then, you know, and and I sort of look. That's politics today. People want to be led by somebody who's, you know, smarter than the rest of us and can help us all. And and the problem is nobody is. You know, nobody's really there very few times in history you get lucky and have somebody who's you know great and altruistic and you know and good lead a country yeah no i i agree um the reason you never get to choose the dictator is because you just don't know who the second guy is yeah that's exactly right it's the system right no one ever gives up power in a dictatorship yep that's that look that's the old line from star wars i forget which episode it was but uh when you know, when Anakin Skywalker and and whatever her name is, you know, um, they're rolling around in the in the hayfield, and and she's, he says, well, you shouldn't have a republic, or you should you should have a, someone in charge that would, would 
make them be good. And she said, who would, who would do that? You said, I would. <laughs> you know? Well, great. <laughs> Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's who you turned out to be. <laughs> I mean, he started start off as a nice guy. <laughs> All right. Well, we're out of time. I know you just drove 10 hours from Atlanta to Miami, so it's probably going to be time for a nap. So thanks for huddling up with us. Really appreciate you being on the podcast. If people want to find you, do uh, people want to find you on social media? Is there a way? A hundred ways. You can find me, randykessler.com. Um, Divorce Protect. I wrote the book, Divorce Protect Yourself, Your Kids and Your Future. Divorceprotect.com. Or LinkedIn. I've got a, a, a pretty good following on LinkedIn. I like to post stuff that I think is interesting about family law. And, uh, and if you're interested, feel free to follow me or reach out. Randy, thank you for taking the time. Thanks so much. Love to do it again sometime. Yeah. It's, uh, you're easy to talk to. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. This is Ryan Millsap, and this has been the Black Hall Studios Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Black Hall Studios Podcast with Ryan Millsap. We want to hear from you. Find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify. And follow us on Instagram at at Black Hall Studios and at Ryan.Millsap. Millsap.